Hi, my name is Callie, and on this podcast, hindsight is everything. Our goal is to look back on seasons we've been through and help prepare those about to face the same things. There's something powerful in knowing you're not alone and knowing someone has gone before you. So I gather up some great people, I ask them all the questions I can think of, and then, hopefully, by the end, we're better than when we started. I'm so happy you're here. Welcome to No One Told Me. When we asked what topics to cover this summer, I was honestly surprised by the amount of people who asked about community. In high school and college, friendships generally come pretty easily in the sense that you're continually around people in the same stage of life as you, mostly dealing with the same things you're dealing with. Friendships will often just bloom out of that. But then you get older and everything that was so easily lined up gets trickier. Like your best friend gets married and then your other friend gets married. And before you know it, you're literally a bridesmaid 27 times before you've even met anyone marriage material. Or you're married and you're the first of your married friends to have a baby. And your world is now only consumed with tar-like diapers and counting up how many hours or minutes you'll get to sleep in a day. Or maybe you aren't having kids. But every time you get together with your friends, the topic always turns to what little Andy said during bath time last night. And all you can really contribute is how your cat was startled by the fern last night. Friends ebb and flow, but the craving, the need for real, authentic friendship doesn't go away. I brought in an old friend of mine, Heather Zimple, and our conversation revolved around community, how to find it and keep it, what keeps us from really experiencing it, and why the heck does it feel so weird at first. Heather has literally written the book on community. Books, actually. She's straightforward and asks questions that make you think bigger. Here's No One Told Me I Need Community. Let's jump straight in, Heather, and let's just go ahead and set the scene. Just tell us your backstory, what you're doing right now, kind of your family life, your hobbies, all that kind of stuff that you've got going on right now. So currently I work as the discipleship pastor at National Community Church. And what that means is I work with all of our ministry areas, everything from kids and family ministries to small groups to our worship team, and try to infuse principles of discipleship and community across everything we're doing. I'm married to Ryan Zempel. He's also on staff at the church. And we have a four-year-old, and she has a lot of energy and a lot of personality. And, you know, I don't really have time for hobbies. Um, (laughs) Not when you have a four-year-old. You're right. That's a good point. My hobby is my four-year-old. Yes. Um, Somebody's (laughs) going to ding me for saying that my parenting is a hobby. But anyway. um, Well, you know, uh, it might as well be. It takes up all of your spare time. So let's just, it counts. (laughs) I'm going to count it. I am. (laughs) It's fun. We're having a blast. She just finished her first year of PK3. And um, so, you know, she's doomed because both of her parents are in ministry. So it's like, you know, PKs are terrors. And she's a double PK. So she's like the doomed from the start. Let me ask you this, because just I know with Henley just being around the church as much as she is with me, like Henley walks in and feels like she's kind of running this. Oh, yeah. Oh, she owns the place. She runs it. Yes. I mean, Henley will walk in and she knows who to talk to. She knows where she wants to go. Like, she always wants to go in the worship room because that's where the good music is. She feels slighted if she has to go in with the kids. She's like, this is this is not fair. <laughs> Sawyer knows where the donuts are. Mm. And that's what is most important to yes. her. And, uh, you know, National Community Church is a multi-site church. And so... Uh, 
she identifies each of our different locations. So there's Big Donut Church, there's Little Donut Church, there's Muffin Church, there's Bagel Church. But I'm yeah, just glad she has priorities. That's just, that's teaching her priorities early, Heather, and I can respect that. <laughs> so we, uh, we have a lot of fun as a family. We like to travel together. We like to have new experiences together. On the personal side for me, um, I love college football. I'm trying to get my daughter to be as excited about that as I am. Are you still uh, a dirty old LSU fan? I am still an LSU fan. A dirty old, you, don't you leave those words out. That's a part of it. I go Tigers. <laughs> you know, G-E-A-U-X, go Tigers. I'm I, a Tigers fan, yes. Um, we, I almost had to disown you as a friend of mine because of that. We've, we've made it through, though, and I'm proud. I can't even talk trash right now because of the state of Tennessee. I, I just can't even talk trash, but it's just, I, I did wonder if you were still as big of a fan as you used to be, so I'm not surprised oh, yeah, to hear that you are. Fan. And I don't really even have to talk trash to you guys because y'all are just so far down. We just know it. You don't even have to. It's just like... It just comes so. That's when you know that it's bad. Is when like you don't even have to talk trash anymore because. <laughs> but you're also a big fan of baseball, right? I mean, you used to be super I into am. Major League Baseball. Yes, yeah, love baseball. I have taken my daughter to a few of those games. She actually decided this year she wanted to go to baseball camp this summer. That's awesome. So I went out. I went out and got her all the gear. And uh, she could barely hit the ball off the tee. She could barely swing the bat. So we, I'm going to save that for next summer, maybe. Um, I don't, I don't know what prompted it, but um, hey. you know, we're, we're moving in the right direction. I'm not surprised at all, based on how you've described her. That she's like, you know what, baseball. That's a good idea. Let's try it. Let's see what happens. <laughs> But I mean, you mentioned that you're over discipleship at National Community Church. And even past that, the reason I wanted to pull you in on this topic of community is because you've literally written the book on it. I mean, multiple books <laughs> on community. So let's let's start with the basics in that sense of how, in all of your experience, how do you define community personally? And what does it look like when you're intentionally seeking out community? You know, you had sent me that question ahead of time, and it kind of stumped me a little bit. Community is one of those things, I think it's like, you know, when you find a really good peach. Finding a really good peach is difficult, but when you find it, it's maybe the best fruit you've ever put in your mouth. Mm -hmm. And community is one of those things that, like, when you're experiencing it, you know that you found it. But when you're looking for it or when you're trying to put a frame around it or when you're trying to put words to it, it's really difficult to do. Like, I don't know that I have ever come up with, like, a working definition of of community as much as – this is actually a huge challenge to me, Callie. This is awesome. This might prompt a new – kind of search in my life. Like, You're going to write a new book. I, it's well, time. <laughs> a new book is coming. Like, as much as I've talked about community, I don't know that I've ever said, this is what I mean when I say that. But there are a few things that, there are categories that I think in. And so many years ago, a guy named Joseph Myers wrote a book called The Search to Belong. And to me, I think belonging is a huge piece of what mm-hmm. community is. Mm-hmm. And in that book, he talks about there are four different spaces in which we can connect or which in which we can belong. And he talks about public space, social space, personal space, and private space. And he says people feel a sense of community in each of those spaces. And I'll, okay, I'll just, I'll go to the football example for a moment. When you go to a football game in Death Valley, or for you guys, you know, at, at Neyland, you are feeling a connection and a community with people you've never met before. Mm-hmm. I mean, you may find yourself hugging and high-fiving people that you don't know their name or know anything about them, but you're bonded together by a, an experience that you're having together. 
So you're experiencing community in that moment. Mm -hmm. And then Mm -hmm. there's there's social space, which is a little bit tighter. And it's like if you were to go to a tailgate party, you know, before, maybe there are people there that you know, maybe you don't know, but but there's a, a smaller area of shared community, maybe because you have shared friendships or shared experiences, or maybe it's a, you know, you, you all came out of the same college program or something. So mm-hmm. there's a belonging that happens in social space, and then a belonging that happens in personal space. And that's, that's the level of community that I think we tend to talk about the most often. Mm-hmm. You know, those are the people that you're going to dinner with, you're going over to their houses, you're going to see movies with, you're going to play games with, you know, what... In in a church world, that might be your small group or or what we're hoping a small group might become. And then there's also private space, which is the two to three people that know the most intimate parts of your life. Mm -hmm. They know your fears and your greatest joys and your greatest disappointments. And they're the people who have permission to ask you anything at any time for any reason. And I think one of the challenges we face with community is all four of those categories of community are legitimate and valid. It's just about knowing which one you're in and having the right expectations mm. for the one that you're in. So anyway, that was, a, that was a lot of words. I think when I think about community, for me personally, I'm looking for people that I'm sharing both face-to-face connection with and also shoulder-to-shoulder mission with. Mm. That, to me, seems to be the community that mm-hmm. is the most intentional and the most rewarding people that I can sit across a, a table with, you know, a cup of coffee and we can talk and we can connect that way, but then we can go turn around and do something that's shoulder to shoulder, whether that's something that's, you know, productive and missional, or it's just having a shared experience um, in which you're creating shared memories. And I think that kind of community is what happens most often in that personal space and that private space. And that's so, I mean, I'm over here nodding like an idiot, like you can see me, but I just like, it's so accurate what you just said, especially even as simple as the analogy of the the football game versus the tailgate and then going into the personal and private. And I do think we settle in a lot. What we crave a lot of times is that personal community that you mentioned. Yeah. And I mean, you said it even better when you said shoulder to shoulder, someone that's coming alongside you and it changes a lot over time. And you know, you, you go in and out of community, I think, especially that personal community yep. that, that you're talking about. Totally. But, you know, in your experience, there's all sorts of obstacles to finding this kind of connection that you hope for or want. And it changes constantly what those obstacles are. But what have you seen just in, in your years working with people to grow relationships about this whole finding and actually keeping community? And, and I think one of the big obstacles might be related to our expectation. Mm-hmm. So, you know, to go back to those four categories, sometimes finding good personal space community, you know, finding your 10 to 15, takes spending a lot of time in that public space and social space and letting time develop and nurture those relationships. And again, to go back, most of my experiences in the church world, and what seems to happen in the church world is, is people expect to go to a small group or a Sunday school class or, you know, a Bible study and, and just want instant community to happen mm-hmm. Um, mm. without kind of managing those expectations a little bit. It takes time. It takes showing up, being present, being engaged in the public space and in the social space for that personal space to happen. But I, I think there are two big obstacles, and, and I'm also talking, you know, I'm in Washington, D.C., so we have a very unique yes. uh, yeah. culture here. Two big obstacles here, and I I think they probably translate to most places in our country, are just busyness or pace of life or transient, uh, and then technology. 
back in, in, the, in 2000, so we're talking almost 20 years ago, the census revealed that 16% of the population moved their residence during that census period. Hmm. I mean, that's, that's a lot of people yeah. moving. One-third of young adults between the ages of 20 and 29 moved between the year 1999 and 2000. Another statistic came out that was nearly 45 million Americans move every year, and the average American moves every five to six years. And that's wow. 20, almost 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. That's, just, that's a lot of moving around and changing your physical location, which is then going to change your relational connections as well. Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, the transient nature, and then I think also technology is totally changing the game. In some ways, I think, helping us with community and otherwise hindering community. And then I think a lot of unintended consequences that we're not even aware of yet. But a, a couple of the statistics that came out that time too are that like roughly one-fourth of America's dinners are eaten while watching television. The table used to be the place where the most important connection happens. And now they're, they're being distracted by technology. You know, the average kid in the United States is watching two months of television for a year. Oh my and these statistics are all coming out before we got iPhones and apps and social media. Before it um, got easy to watch. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, I think technology, it's both serving, I think, to help community, but also serve as a tremendous distraction. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the times that we would have maybe been in public space been forced to talk with people that may have been strangers and that conversation perhaps leading to a friendship. For example, I mean, we met at a conference. Yeah. Um, this was before I would have my nose and my phone in between sessions. Yeah, you didn't want to use that sessions, data. Just kind of, you're forced to walk around in public space mm-hmm. and have conversations. And I've made friendships, and I've got friendships that I made you know, from that very conference that I don't know I would make today because when I'm coming out of a session at a conference, my nose is in my phone mm-hmm. to catch up with what's going on with my community back home. You know, so, and, and you said it, Heather, just living in D.C., I know it's said all the time that it has one of the largest relocation rates in the nation. So you are always dealing with that transient. And if it's if there's one place that's hard to even establish community, it's there because people are so in and out all the time. Yep. You know, it's it seems like you don't really realize you need it until you find yourself without it. Right. It's kind of like when yep. you, you move from college to adulthood. Like in college, your friends are around you or even from high school into college. High school, you grew up with all your community. You all went to school together and then you go to college. And you're like, okay, I got to start over. And then you go into adulting and you start over again. And each season, yep. you know, you're struggling to, I know I did this. We're all in different seasons now. We're all not really connecting as much. And you want people who are walking through that season alongside you. So how does it change when you're just trying to find people? How does finding your people change? Let me restructure that. Finding people change based on the season of life you're in. I know when I asked this question to some of our Instagram followers, I said, what is one of the hardest things about finding people, like finding people to connect with? And they said, basically, it's everybody's in different seasons. Like it's hard to find the trifecta is what one person said. The person who, you know, has the same values, beliefs and family life. It's that seems impossible. But how would you speak to those challenges? and, And how do you encourage people to take their next steps toward that? One of the things that Ryan and I have uh, walked through is, 
you know, we realized that when we got married and we had kids, finding that community mm-hmm. is so different. You know, I think that there are moments that spark new seasons, as you said. And so, you know, I think the college to young adulthood is one transition. I think there are transitions for people who are single, even in their 20s and 30s mm-hmm. and 40s. And then there's a transition point. You know, if you get married, there's that generates new transition point. And what Ryan and I realized is finding community with couples is infinitely more difficult because it's like the women have to connect and the men have to connect and then the couple has to connect as couples and it just makes it a lot harder to find that click. And then family is a, is a whole other dimension to that. And so I think one thing that might be helpful to think in terms of is we put a lot of pressure, I think, on the word community. Yeah. And so if we can just relax a little bit and think of community, like sometimes community exists just for in the now moment. Mm-hmm. Like there, there's community that you experience in the now because you happen to be at a certain place at a certain time and you're connecting with people around that shared experience. And that's legitimate and it's valid and it's needed. Sometimes community is just for a season. And that's why I think I see people tripping up. Mm-hmm. If people know, and especially in D.C., if they think they're only going to be here for a month or three months or even a year, there is a tendency to just go on autopilot and try to continue to draw from previous community and not leaning into the season that they're in because there's this idea that, well, I'm not here for long enough for this community to count. Mm-hmm. But what I've discovered is that sometimes the community you experience in a season is some of the most transformational that you have. And so I really encourage, especially when we have interns or people that are coming to D.C. for just three months, six months, a year, whatever, you know, sometimes I'll tell them, you need to lean in where you are right now because you don't know what this community might turn into. Don't lose the opportunity that you have right now. And then obviously some community is for life, but I don't think we can know that in the moment. Mm -hmm. So I think we have to get take some big risks. I think community building requires risk. It requires a lot of vulnerability. I think it requires us to to cross some bridges that maybe we wouldn't cross otherwise. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I think we have to host some events. We have to start up some conversations. We have to show up. And it's so hard. It's just, I mean, even what you said, it's bridges we wouldn't cross otherwise. All of a sudden you have to try at this. And you touched on it even um, in one of the first questions that you answered, that you have to really show up for it. You can't show up one time and think, oh, we're all best friends. This is great. I, I know I personally get tripped up on that. I think, well, this should be way easier than it is. Right. And it's and just it, not always going to be. And I think sometimes, too, we, we show up in spaces, particularly when we might be new in a space, and we're looking for someone else to make the big approach. We're the person that someone else needs to extend community to. And I think more and more, especially in the the transient nature of where we live, we just need to assume that we're maybe not the newest person in the room. Mm -hmm. And so just to have the courage and the boldness to take the step to say, hey, let's connect, let's hang out, let's have a conversation. And then don't put the pressure on that moment to be, this is going to have to be my best friend forever. Mm -hmm. This is the community of people that I've got to connect with forever. And I actually think some of the problem, at least in church world, has been our fault as church professional people because we have over-promised and under-delivered what can happen in a small group environment. And we've promised people, come into these environments and you'll find your best friend. And that often just hasn't been the story for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And so I think that has even made it difficult. I think sometimes the way we talk about community 
puts an expectation or paints a picture without then also talking about the hard work that it takes to get there. And we've maybe done a disservice. What you just said could probably be the name of this whole episode is no one told me that it is hard to find your people. They don't just magically show up. And you think, I don't know why. I know I've got it in my head that it was going to be a simple process. I think because, I mean, I could sit and talk to this wall for about 20 minutes and call it a friend by the time I walked away from it. But I always thought it would come easily. And then I got really to this. It's like you said, it's when you go into a new season and you think you're the newest person, not even in a place, but in a season. Like when I first had Henley, and I'm sure when you first had Sawyer, you thought, I don't know what I'm doing. And it seems like everybody else around here does. So I should maybe (laughs) just just sit here until I look like I know what I'm doing too. And not, you know, like not reach out, not ask for any anybody to partner with me or go shoulder to shoulder. Like you talked about when that's really what most of us crave. Like if we walk into a setting, we're probably not the only one thinking, gosh, I wish I had a person to lean on right now. And it's that courage piece that you said, that's probably the hardest thing to work up that in realizing you're not the only person who's trying to find that courage at the same time. Sometimes it's even, I mean, it sounds silly, but sometimes it's just having icebreaker type questions in your back pocket. Mm -hmm. (laughs) When you're in one of those environments where maybe you're meeting people for the first time or those awkward experiences that sometimes we create for people to try to connect is your go-to to have conversation. I mean, you can talk to a blank wall. My husband, you know, is an introvert and has the opposite. You know, he wants to find the one person to talk to. And yes. So I think for everybody to just have some of their go-to mm-hmm. topics or questions. And that's the other thing. I think when you're intensely curious about other people, that's a magnet. You know, I think if we have the right questions to ask and to lead with, so often when we go in looking for community, we go in trying to make ourselves look impressive or trying to make ourselves attractive or ourselves somebody that somebody wants to be friends with. But I, I wonder if we go in more with just really strong curiosity about the others, if that's a better kind of a approach. But again, it, it requires courage to do that. Yeah. I was in a, um, a communications class. And have you heard the onion theory before? Tell me. Okay. I just I hope you have pen and paper. I'm about to just teach you something right here, Heather. So <laughs> you're ready for it. Okay. So basically the professor was just talking about how when you meet someone, you are so concerned with figuring out who they are compared to who you are, how you're going to relate to what they're saying in an important way. So you're peeling yeah. back their layers and you're trying to figure out, okay, I need to shape myself. I'm going to peel back their layers and shape myself to be someone that they like or connect with or want to be around or whatever it is. And really, you're not even hearing what they're saying because you're so focused on what you're going to say. So you're trying to peel back these layers and every inch of it is, okay, what am I going to say? What am I going to say? And you're not even listening anymore to what they're saying. And I think that's what you just described is we get, we want to be important. (laughs) And we're not really listening to what anyone else is saying, because we want, we want to peel them back as fast as we can. So we can figure out how we can show them that we matter. We want to see what what's important to them first. And I just remember even you say having those uh, icebreaker questions, working with college students for several years. (laughs) I I remember we used to tell like, this is what you this how every conversation would go. Hey, what's what's your name? Where are you from? Oh, you go to UT? What's your major? Well, what do you want to do yep. when you graduate? And then you're done. Like, you're out of questions. Yep. You have no idea what else right. to ask anyone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
I, I wish I knew how to how, how to attribute this quote, but I cannot remember who said it, and I'm pretty sure it, it didn't come from me, but we spend a lot of time trying to be an interesting person, mm. when if we were just an interested person, we might connect more deeply, more quickly. Hey, we're going to make an Instagram story out of that quote right there, Heather, is what we're going to have to do. <laughs> That's going to be one of our promos for this podcast right now. That was good. <laughs> You know, we, um, I've heard it taught several times that a lot of times you see people, they move from, from strangers and then to acquaintances, to friends, and some even to, to feel like family. But I know that yeah. in your experience, you have seen that over and over. What does that process usually look like in real life? Like we can look back and know that it's happened in our lives, but how do you see it play out? And where do most people kind of get hung up? What is the the tripping point that a lot of people can't seem to get past to get to that personal space with other people? That's a really great question. And again, one that I think you prompted me to go on a little bit of a journey. Several years ago, Ryan and I heard a, um, a conference speaker say that to really mentor someone, you have to invite them to come live with you for a season. <laughs> that, I mean, that sounds ridiculous on one level. But at the same time, it challenged us, and we did wind up having people come and, and live with us for season. Oh, wow. And that changes the dynamic. I mean, then you start talking about people really feeling like family. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a, bit of a, that's a bit of an extreme. If I have to share a bathroom with you, you are family. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, what, what was crazy is for a season, there were a number of young, engaged couples where one would come live with us. Because, you know, in D.C., especially, like, you know, apartments and housing, all that is really difficult. So, you know, they'd get engaged, and then the lease would run out on one apartment, but they were going to move into the other apartment. But in the six months running up to it, they, one of them needed a place where they come live with us. And Ryan and I realized this is the best premarital counseling they can get. I believe they, it. They can listen to us wax eloquent about how to manage finances and how to deal with conflict and how to communicate more effectively. Or they can just come and live with us and see the good, the bad, and the ugly, what works and what doesn't work. That's a very extreme version of family. So you're Um, telling us if we want community, we need to invite people to move in with us. (laughs) That's my takeaway right there. (laughs) You know, I do. I'm I'm starting with a very extreme version. Um, You know, I probably should have started with the strangers and how you move that way. But I started with the extreme case. You find someone on the street. You tell them you got an empty room. There's your community. You're done. It's great. There's your community. I mean, I really do wonder if we have become so protective of our private space that it actually has hindered our ability to form community well. I mean, Mm -hmm. when you look at the early church, they were sharing everything. And I'm certainly not advocating that we start moving into communes or anything like that. (laughs) (laughs) Thank goodness, because listen, I don't think I could handle half the people who would try to be in community (laughs) with me. (laughs) I I think there is something about sharing space. Mm-hmm. with one another that mm-hmm. moves you from strangers to acquaintances to friends to family. It's about shared experiences. It's about shared space. It's about shared vocabulary. It's about inside jokes. And again, I think, you know, when you talk about strangers, that is the move from public to social, to personal, to private. It is, you're right. And, it is. And, and I think, again, just holding space and having grace for those different seasons and being okay with the process 
One thing that makes it hard is college. For those of us that went to college, finding your people was a little bit easier, at least it was for me when I went, because you're connected together often in a similar space because you're in a dorm together or you're in a frat house together or you're in a, a, an apartment building right off campus with a lot of students. So there's shared space and you're all having, a, you've got a similar life pace and life rhythm. And there are these cultural events that you're all experiencing together. There's a shared language that you have. So you come in kind of, you're able to cheat the system a little bit. Mm-hmm. Then you come out of college and you've got to do that thing. You've got to find community without those shared cultural pieces. Without You've got to go find the people that have the shared cultural experiences. And then see if they speak the same language. And then if they have the same life rhythm and life pattern and pace and all that. So it just takes a little longer. I think that's one of the stuck places for people is that move from either high school life to young adulthood or college into the professional world. You've got to have space. You have to have grace. And then I think where people wind up getting stuck is when they are moving from one of those spaces to another, from, you know, strangers to acquaintances mm-hmm. or acquaintances to friends. I think one stuck place is when you begin to see your differences and you let those differences become a divider instead of something to celebrate. I'm a huge fan of Myers-Briggs, of Strength Finder, of Enneagram, anything that tells me how quirky I am and how quirky the other person is. And then to say, okay, you know what? What I thought was wrong with that other person is actually reflecting a strength inside of them. That if I can celebrate that difference as a strength and not degrade it as a hindrance or a weakness, it actually makes our friendship stronger. But I think Mm -hmm. a lot of times when we start discovering differences, that becomes a divider. I think when mess starts happening, we think that when mess happens is actually something that harms our community, but I think mess can be a catalyst to deeper and more meaningful and more transformational community. Mm-hmm. So I think if we're willing to brave the messy season instead of just ejecting out of the situation, mm-hmm. um, along with that, I think practicing good boundaries. I've seen friendships and community get into real messes that are bad, because boundaries haven't been protected. Can you give us an example of boundaries? You know, I've heard a lot about boundaries and keeping them and all of that. Will you give us just an example, practically speaking, what that looks like within relationship? We're continuing to see a rise in kind of mental health issues. And Mm -hmm. I think codependency, I think is going to skyrocket more than ever before, in part because of the images we feel like we have to keep up on social media. Mm -hmm. When the number of likes you're receiving is driving your mood or driving how well you think about yourself, that shows that there's a boundary kind of in a, in a wrong place. Mm-hmm. So I think when your community is turning into you're deriving your value from someone else and your sense of worth is dependent upon somebody else's view of you, that's where maybe you have, there's a boundary that has been crossed somewhere. Mm-hmm. Value is something you bring to a community. And, of course, we derive value from it. But when your value is solely dependent upon what someone thinks about you, what someone says about you, whether or not they approve of you, then maybe there needs to be a boundary in place there. Um, maybe that the way you're engaging in that friendship or that relationship isn't, isn't healthy. Let's take that practicality just one step farther, Heather. You know, we talked this whole time we've talked about what it looks like, what's healthy community, what how we can seek it out. But if we stay in this practical space, what can we do to be someone who is inviting community? Because sometimes it's yeah. 
it's us. Like sometimes we think we're so open to it and really we're, we're not. So what does it look like practically to be someone who's inviting this community into our lives? It's certainly not an exact science. I don't know if there's a, a formula for it, but I do think being willing to take the first step, no matter how new you feel to a season or to an environment or to a group uh, of people, but just taking that first step, making space in your own life for it, prioritizing it. I mean, it, you know, community doesn't happen without that shared time and shared space and shared experience. And, and that means we have to prioritize it. That might mean prioritizing something that's awkward yeah. over something that might be more comfortable or, or seem more safe, like, you know, laying on our couch and binge watching the latest whatever on Netflix mm. or, or just scrolling through our social media to reconnect with old friends. It's, it's making space for prioritizing mm-hmm. it. I think it's also cheating on purpose. Someone in your life is always going to get cheated. Mm. I'll speak to it in my world. Sometimes Ryan gets cheated Mm. because I have a ministry event I need to be at. But sometimes my ministry gets cheated because I need to be first and foremost prioritizing my family. Mm. Sometimes my friends are cheated. Sometimes my extended family is cheated. Someone in your life is going to get cheated. And I think the more you can be intentional about cheating on purpose, the better in pursuing new community. Mm -hmm. Um, Because a lot of times the people that are closest to us are the ones that get cheated by default. And I think if we can make sure to cheat on purpose, that helps invite community and even new community. It helps us to form new relationships when we're cheating on purpose. And then finally, I would just say, you know, as people say, the fruit, when you look at the fruit of the spirit, it's like all relational. It's how we engage with one another. Hmm. And I think the more we can be thoughtful and intentional about making sure that's growing in our life. You know, we are people that love and we're people that bring joy and we're people that are bridge builders of peace. You know, all those things. I think uh, as we grow in the fruit of the Spirit, then we become people that are are right for community. Mm -hmm. I love what you said about taking that first step because we have to just know it's going to be awkward. There's a rare scenario you're going to walk into when you're trying to seek intentionally to find your people. It's going to be weird at first. I listened to a podcast the other day, Heather, and they said that no one knows how to to interact or tell stories anymore because the way we used to sit together and actually do that has changed. So, I mean, you mentioned it. Most families have the TV on while dinner's being had. No one's telling a story about their day. No one's popping off something interesting. Everyone's glued to the TV or their phone or whatever else. And it's, it's just harder. And we have to know that going into it. We want it to be easy and it's just not going to be. And I love that you're just saying it flat out. It's going to be awkward. Like you're just going to have to accept that and and move on with your life. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Okay, Heather, we end every episode with a very important question. Some would say it's the most important question. What are you so happy someone did tell you about? What are you just so into right now? (laughs) So there is, I think it's in its fourth season maybe now. I'm not sure it's called The Good Place. Uh, (laughs) I think it's on NBC. I wound up watching the whole thing on Netflix. Hilarious. I introduced my husband to it and rewatched the whole season. That's real love. I mean, there is very few people I'll rewatch something with. Like, I won't watch it twice. But it's so funny because Ryan and I, my Ryan, we just started watching it at the beginning of summer. We just stumbled upon it, and we're like, we should we should watch this. And it, it it's so clever. So I'm very grateful that I was introduced to that because it just keeps on giving. 
I'm so thankful for the way that you you care and and foster and grow community. And what I'm not thankful for is the amount of times I've used that word in a very short amount of time. So I feel like I'm going to need to look up some synonyms for it for the intro to this show. And we still haven't defined it. I know it's still we're still trying to figure out. I love that we started with. I'm not really sure how to define community. <laughs> You're supposed to be the expert here, Heather. All right, so. <laughs> But here's what we're going to do. I'm going to, on show notes, I'm going to link to uh, your books. I know, what do you have now, three? Yes, the Comedians Messy is is about, uh, it's it's about group life for the most part in in a local church, but there's application beyond that. And then um, the newest book is Big Change Small Groups, and so it's written kind of with the small group leader in mind Mm -hmm. about how to create safe places and transformational places if you're leading a group. And then the third one is Amazed and Confused. Yes. Um, on the book of Habakkuk, I write for the smallest audiences. You were, I mean, basically. I love, I remember when that book came out and I thought, leave it to Heather to pick one of the most like obscure books in the Bible and write a whole book about it. Like, <laughs> totally. Well, my friend said, you realize you wrote three times the number of words about Habakkuk as Habakkuk himself wrote. <laughs> I love it. We're going to, we're going to link to that so you all can see some of those. And I'm just, am a big fan of yours, Heather. And I'm just so thankful that you jumped on here (laughs) to talk about community with us a little bit today. I love ending every episode telling you how thankful I am for you, that you would take your time to listen to what we're trying to do here. So if you loved it, or even if you have feedback, I want to hear about it. You can either hop on over to iTunes and leave us a review, or you can just DM me on social media. Usually I'm on Instagram the most. It's at C-E-Holla. And again, I love hearing from you guys. So make sure you either write a review or send me a DM, which always seems a little bit desperate asking for it. But here I am asking anyways. Thanks again for tuning in.